now the cleanest hour in podcasting with your host, Ralph Peterson. This is the Housekeepers Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Housekeepers Podcast, dare I say the cleanest hour in podcasting. I am your host, Ralph Peterson, and I am so excited to be interviewing and introducing you to Mark Patton, the, the CEO and the owner of Patton Building Solutions or Bat, Patton Building Services, not solutions. Got it. Services, You're good. I apologize. You're good. Down there in Morgantown, West Virginia. Right, Morgan? Are you in Morgantown? Absolutely. I am. Uh, Morgantown's a university uh, town, and uh, we have about, uh, I'm not sure what the population of Morgantown is. It's a pretty cosmopolitan town. It's a little atypical of a lot of West Virginia because you got a lot of internationals and a big university community here, big teaching hospital here. And uh, yeah, so uh, it's our headquarter. We're actually pretty much right on the Pennsylvania border. My house is six miles from uh, Pennsylvania. Very and, nice. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah. That's Just to I, give I've you a little done, the geography. Yeah. I've done a, quite a bit of work in West Virginia, quite a bit of work in Morgantown, a lot of nursing homes, senior care facilities and CCRCs nice. down in that area. So, so you're familiar. I'm quite familiar. It's a beautiful country down there. Did you grow up there? Yes and no. I am from West Virginia. I was born in Southern West Virginia, Beckley, and it's down kind of on the Virginia border. And uh, my dad got a job promotion and a change when I was in the third grade. Oh. And we moved to Morgantown. So really Morgantown, I've, I've, I've been here since I was about nine years old. Grew up in Morgantown, met my wife here, got married here, stayed here. Yep. Graduated Had your from kids the- there, built your business there. Everything is Morgantown. It really is. It's a great place, really, because of the university. We have season tickets to Mountaineer basketball, Mountaineer football. So it's a wow. pretty fun place to live. Yeah, we enjoy it here. So what was it? What did your dad do exactly? What did he do for work? Uh, you know, my dad My dad actually grew up on a subsistence farm. So he was kind of a dirt poor kid. He was number six of eight kids. And oh, wow. so my dad was the only one out of eight siblings to go to college, graduate from college. And he did that after he was married and had two kids and uh, had been in the war and worked in my, 10 years in the coal mines. And then he came up to Morgantown, got his college degree on the uh, GI Bill. And uh, he got an ag education degree, and he worked uh, his whole career for the Farmers Home Administration, which made kind of low-income housing uh, loans to rural farming uh, communities. Wow. Yeah. So it was, it was a good program. Uh, he loved it. It was one of the rare government programs that was pretty much self-sustaining. Didn't take a lot of government money to fund them. They generated their own income with the, uh, the housing loans. It sounds like he was quite the pioneer nowadays. The idea of getting a degree later in life is very, I mean, it's still hard work, but it's a lot easier in the sense that you can do it online. You can do it nights and weekends. I can't even imagine. What year did he go back and get his degree? What year did he get his degree in? What year uh, I think he was at WVU in, it would have been the late 50s. It was kind of oh, the era man. of Jerry West. It was a big Mountaineer basketball player here. So it was that era. So yeah, I mean, he worked a full-time job and went to school full-time. Yep. Wow. So my, that- yeah, my, yeah. My dad had a great work ethic. Just out of view of uh, the camera here, I've got hanging on the wall, a two-man crosscut saw which was my dad. And my dad did everything the hard way.
way. When everybody else had rototillers, chainsaws, and riding mowers, my dad was still using a two-man crosscut saw, and me and my brother were on the other end of that thing, sawing wood as little kids. <laughs> that probably weighed 100 pounds soaking wet, and uh, yeah, my dad's pulling me back and forth on that two-man crosscut saw, but he taught me a work ethic. Yeah, no question. Holy yeah. moly, that is pretty impressive. Yeah, so yeah. It, like, did you two grow up in a big family? Like Your dad's at one of eight. What about you? Uh, no, I have a brother and a sister, and um, sister was a nurse. She lives in Nashville, Tennessee. My brother lives here in town. He worked uh, his career at uh, WVU Hospital as, as an administrator. and But at the same time, my brother was also working in our business uh, part-time, kind of in the background. My brother is uh, hardwired totally different from me. I'm kind of the operations and the sales guy. My brother's more wired like the accounting type. So he did the books, the taxes. But actually, my business got started when I told my brother, this is back in 1981, hey, I'm thinking about starting a business, a cleaning business, because I worked my way through college cleaning. And so he says, oh, I'm kind of interested in that. I might be interested in working with you or helping you. So my brother is seven years older than me. And it was basically, he had come back from a military service in uh, about, it was during the Vietnam area. He was a second lieutenant, a commissioned officer. He decided he didn't want to make a career of it. So he came back to Morgantown, got his MBA at WVU. And so Jim, as I'm telling about this business idea, he says, well, let me help you. So essentially it was the older brother, Jim, taking care of me as kid brother. And so Jim gave me, uh, didn't loan it to me, he gave me $6,000. And I like to kid people that he also gave me a Kirby vacuum cleaner. And, uh, <laughs> and we were in business. And he goes, I don't know why I bought this expensive Kirby vacuum cleaner. Maybe this was just to get you started <laughs> in business. So, so anyway, Jim was in business with me my, the whole 43 years we've been in business. He's recently retired. I've bought him out. But again, it all started wow. with, uh, with the older brother, yeah, taking care of his kid brother. And so I'm eternally grateful to my, my older brother, Jim. Yep. That's pretty. So talk to me about... You said you cleaned. When did you first get your first job? Like, were you working right out of like 13, 14 years old? What were, or how, when, would, when did you get your first job? Yeah, yeah, no, no, I'm yeah, yeah, fooling you here. No, I actually, I got a teaching degree from WVU in 1978. I worked a couple of years as an inside salesperson, parts coordinator for a coal mining company, supply company. Didn't like it. I'd worked my way through college cleaning as a part-time job. Where? Uh, cleaned a church, cleaned for a guy that had a cleaning company. He had one contract. It was uh, Rockwell International. And we, we, my buddy and I would clean there with his mother a couple hours in the evening, five nights a week. So, so I was familiar with the cleaning industry. I'd worked my way through college mm. cleaning a church and uh, our church. And so, so that's where I got the idea to start the cleaning business and actually started it in January of 1981. So that's been, you know, Right, right at uh, 40 years. Yep. 40 years. Yeah. This is this year's 40 year anniversary. Good for you. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. But the Lord has blessed our business a little bit every year. We've grown a little bit every year. And yeah, just um, so that $6,000 that my brother gave me, we bought, you know, a mop bucket and some cleaning supplies and wind cleaning uh, equipment. And uh, and then what I lived the first, on. What was the first kind of contracts you were after? We, like you know, office space? What were you yeah, it was, it was, was it? office space, you know, the word got out, told friends and family and my sister-in-law got me a little job in a law office and 
we cleaned H&R Block, I think, was the first job we ever did, which was uh, you know, the income tax uh, giant. And yeah, so it was just a little bit here and there. But, you know, the $6,000 I was living off of because I'd given up my other job. And so as the $6,000 started to run out, it was a great motivator to go knocking on doors. And uh, yeah, I just slowly started picking up an account here and an account there. And yeah, my niche, my, my forte has always been sales. I didn't realize it. I never wanted to grow up to be a salesperson. But when I reflected back on my life as a kid, all my jobs were selling and uh, selling this or selling that. In fact, my first job ever was as a, a food vendor at WVU Mountaineer Football Stadium. And I was sixth grade and I was in the stands carrying two trays of Coca-Cola going through the, through the stand selling Coke. And even at that age, they had signed us up. And when I get my annual social security uh, printout, it's got that six, seven, eight dollars that they withheld <laughs> as a kid selling Coke at Mountaineer Stadium. So yeah, it was, you know, you would never let your kid do that in this day and age, but my mom would drop me off at the stadium in the morning. The, you know, this is long before cell phones, obviously. And at the end of the game, my dad's listening to the radio and she'd dad say, oh, game's over, go get Mark. And uh, she'd drive down there to prearranged place and pick me up. So I would hang out after the games and get uh, autographs of football players. And wow. uh, so it, it was a great first job. I loved it. And uh, so it was a good sales experience as well. So, yep. That is, that is, I think that's probably one of the greatest little sales jobs. I mean, my first job was like, you know, delivering newspapers and the worst part of my job was collecting the money, you know? Right, 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 right. People were already subscribed. I didn't have to go knock on doors and get them to subscribe, which would have probably helped me immensely. Of course, we would like to sell in the student section because that's where you got a lot of business and, you know, so I remember, again, I was just a tiny little kid and I'm passing the Coke down the line and the people are supposed to pass their money back. And you know, invariably, one of the students thought he was being funny. You know, he would tease the little boy and not pay. And some girl would yell, eh, pay the kid, you know. <laughs> and so, yeah. So you learn to do business and you learn that, yeah, it was just good natured ribbing, but we had a lot of fun doing it. And uh, yeah, I was a country boy and most of the kids doing this were city boys. And so that was a bit of an eye opener and a bit of a cultural experience for me as well at a young age. So it was good. I managed to stay out of trouble. <laughs> Sounds like you did okay for yourself in the end. Sounds like yeah, you did yeah. just fine, right? It was it That's was fun. Super great. It was fun. Yeah. So anyway, I had, I had lots of little sales jobs like that growing up. So it's like, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah God was kind of preparing me even as a kid, I think, to to uh, sell and promote and to, to do business. And so yeah, it was a good experience, and you build on those. That's so interesting, and it's always interesting to me when when we first having our relationship with money. Like, what is the first time as kids right. do we start having this relationship with money? Because there are people who, and I don't know many of them, but I do know some people who have that first experience with money and they don't enjoy it. You know, then there's others like yourself and me right. where every nickel I got forced me to, I mean, I really just want to get another two or three nickels. You know, I did everything I could to sell sure. and yeah. sell anything. Yeah. I just well, I yeah. still wanted to make money. That's all yeah. I wanted to do. Yeah. And I think you get bit by that bug as a kid. It probably sticks with you a long time. So yeah, you know, I'd go home at the end of the, at the end of a football game and I'd be soaked in Coke and sticky and, but I would have a bulging pocket of quarters in my pocket, right. you know? So, right. so yeah, it was all good. And, it's a nice yeah, trade off. Sure. I mean, back in the day, you could drive down to the little convenience store. They didn't have 7-Elevens back in the day, but they had similar kinds of little stores and 
you know, you could buy a, I was a baseball card collector. So I would drive, ride my bike down there and I would spend some of my quarters on baseball cards and, you know, the bubble gum that came in them, but yep. Sure. Good stuff. Tops, yep. Tops baseball cards. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I was at a baseball card show a few years ago and I saw a Nolan Ron rookie card was being sold for a thousand dollars. And I, I told my wife, I think I've got that card at home somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and I did. We went home and found it. It was in pretty good shape. And yeah, so yeah, I think uh, my, son's got all, my son's got all those cards now. But yeah, that was fun. That's super fun. I was the same way. I was at that kid. All my friends, we traded baseball and football cards. And sadly, because when you're a kid, you don't know any better. Because we did, we had no value. There was no value, you know, put on baseball cards or football cards in the seventies sure. when I grew up. Exactly, and they were just used as entertainment. You know, you collected cards because you wanted full sets. You wanted to get all your team, your you know, your favorite players. Sure. And so we would flip for cards. And I say oh, that nice. to people yeah. nowadays, and they're like, "What? What? You throw cards against the wall? I'm like legit? We would fuck them against the wall. <laughs> Closest guy wins, right? And yeah. if you landed on a couple, you got a couple, right? So was- <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, we would trade and ours, and the, and of course, we're not too far from Pittsburgh, so we were Steeler fans, Pirate fans, and uh, so I, I've got several of the 1960 uh, Pirate World Series cards, and oh, wow. and uh, yeah, so th- those were fun to collect, and we would trade them. We didn't flip for them, but we trade traded cards. So yeah, uh, we we yep. we flipped for them. Yeah, and you, you know you you being a being a Steelers fan and growing up in that era, I mean. You had a great 70s, right? And we had a huge oh my goodness, yeah, yeah. football team in the 70s with the Steelers. Yeah, the Steel Curtain, all those guys. Yeah, our legends mm-hmm. in this area. So, yep, yep, yep. I grew up in, I grew up in Boston. And okay. So, my whole childhood, the closest we came to anything was 1985 playing the Bears, which we got beat by a guy named William the Refrigerator Perry. Yeah, right. Still Remember him. That guy. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So exactly. everybody's like, you know, with uh, Belichick and Tom Brady now, you know, before they're all like, oh, you guys, it must be nice to be a, uh, you know, Patriots right. fan. I'm like, listen, I grew up my whole life. We didn't win a single game. I don't know what you're yeah, talking right. about. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I hear you. We weren't it's the Steelers, like, you know. Right. It's kind of like being a Pirate fan now. <laughs> the stuff is cyclical. It really small, market is. Teams, small market teams do struggle, but yeah. I hear yeah, you. it's true. It's true. And, and we're struggling now back in the Patriots realm. So we're back kind of where we were prior. Yeah, right. the Brady dynasty, but uh, yeah, it's so fun. It's so fun how similar, you know, experiences in, in growing up here in America really is because I truly had a very similar upbringing as you did, nice. you know, nice. Nice. even nice. though we nice. have a different, different generations and certainly different parts, you being in West Virginia, me being in the East coast, exactly. But, you know, is, is filled with, uh, you know, trying to get money as a kid and selling anything I could and trading baseball cards and there you rooting go. for the whole town team and, yeah, so and unfortunately fun. now you can't let your kids out of your sight, you know. So you know, no. we used to we used to roam all over the place. Goodness, <laughs> you did, you did when dare let uh, your your kids uh, do uh, what we did growing up. It's, I know. Yeah, it's a it's a different era in a not so good way. Yeah, I agree. So when you first start your business, was your brother being that he was kind of like the accounting kind? Of, so he was kind of behind the scenes. Then you were doing all the selling and operating. Is that accurate? Yeah, accurate. He had another full-time job. And in the beginning, you know, he would do the bookkeeping, uh, payroll taxes at night at home. Uh, He wasn't married at the time and uh, hadn't married yet. And uh, so, yeah, that's how he started out. And as the business began to grow over the years, because Jim always saw this as my business, he was just along for the ride. And um, 
we started off as 50-50 partners. And at some point he came to me and said, oh, this is really your business. Uh, we did the, the books to, to reflect that I was a 75% owner and he was a 25% owner. And uh, he never really said, and I never really asked, but I always thought in the back of my mind, you know, he saw it as my business. He was big hearted, but he also now only had 25% of the risk involved in the business as well. So <laughs> there might've been a little ulterior motive there, but uh, we, 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 we won't go there. No, he was just good hearted. And uh, so as the business grew, Jim went to his boss at the hospital and said, Hey, if I could do my job, same job in three days a week and maintain my benefits would you go for that? And they did. So they reduced. Uh, what year uh, was this? This would have been late 1980s, maybe, or uh, it was probably in the 1990s. It was several years into the business. So it was in the 1990s at some point. So anyway, his boss said, yeah. So Jim had a great work, work ethic, like my dad had instilled in both of us. And uh, so he was, you know, when he was there, he worked, you know, he, he was paid for eight hours. He worked for eight hours. So he was able to get his job done. And so then he started coming into my office on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then a few years later, he did a similar kind of thing and started coming into our office every day, half a day, half a day at the hospital, half a day with us. And he did that all the way up until uh, seven, eight years ago when he retired from the hospital and went, started coming in here full time every day. So, you know, he had a, he had a good salary. His initial investment of $6,000 uh, paid off. Uh, I'm in the process of buying Jim out his 25% now. We had our business valued by CPA a couple of years ago and based our buyout on that. So as Jim was exiting, my kids were getting involved in the business. I've got uh, three kids myself, Stephen, Megan, and Jennifer. And two of those, uh, the baby Jennifer has been in the business uh, eight, nine, 10 years now. And Stephen has been in the business uh, going on four years. And uh, initially, none of my kids were really too interested in the business. But as uh, they got into the real world and, you know, it's like, uh, dad's business doesn't look like such a bad option now. So, <laughs> yeah, so they're they're both involved now. Steven's in operations. He's trying to transition out of operations into uh, the sales business development silo. Stephen and Mary work in that uh, uh, silo of our business. Uh, we've got a very professional HR person, Kimberly Hill, in uh, our uh, HR uh, silo. In fact, she was a 4.0 student from Penn State University. Then she got her master's degree wow. from Fairmont State University, 4.0 oh. student. So she's a sharp cookie, great personality, and, and great work ethic. We are blessed, blessed, blessed to have her on our team. And then we've got a great operations team. But uh, Jennifer, my daughter, has uh, done uh, a lot of uh, customer service uh, work. Uh, she does a lot of administrative work, works with me out of the uh, headquarter office. And uh, so, yeah, so it's a family business. My brother-in-law manages our Southern division. I bought an existing business from a guy in my peer group over 20 years ago, back in 19... Well, it was right, it was right around 2000, 1999, 2000 bought a guy out that wanted to retire that was in my peer group and bought his business, merged it with mine. And my brother-in-law moved to Charleston, West Virginia and manages that division of our business to, to this day, Steve, Steve Davis. Wow. So, yeah, so we've got a great team, a, good, a lot of good, good folks involved in our business. I've got one guy that runs our Northern division. 
Jason Devar that started working for me right out of high school, took a little bit of college. And Jason's just a natural born leader, super likable. People gravitate towards him. Jason's never been in the military, but you would swear he's super squared away <laughs> and uh, he's uh, he runs a tight ship, but he's super personable and just uh, we've promoted from within. He started as a cleaner as a kid and now he's oh, a division, man- division manager in our company. Love, love God it. at death. Good, good family man. Good, uh, just good, good all around guy. So he's uh, grown with us over fun. the years. Yeah, yeah, it was a great fun. It's been a great career for him, and he makes a good uh, living for his family now. So yeah, it's 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 all good. When, so yeah, good team, good team here. It sounds amazing. When you first started, I'm really interested in your first contract and how you were able to, or, or was your first contract so big where you're able to hire staff and afford that right off? Or did you have to do the cleaning? I had to do the cleaning. Yeah. Uh, We we grew really slow. I think I might've had $10,000 my first year of business, $10,000, $12,000. So when you're a one-man operation, you're the sales guy, you're the janitor, you're the supervisor, you know, yeah, I, I kid people, you know, I would clean a building at night and then I would answer the phone the next morning and there would be a complaint on the cleaning. So I can identify with my cleaners when they clean. I'm like, I'll get right on that guy and get him corrected tonight. <laughs> I would never fess up that I was the cleaner. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. But that's, that's also it. an impetus to growth as well, because you're wearing all the hats. So you're not selling when you're cleaning. And, that's uh, right. Yeah, and yeah, the, yeah. Good news, the good news is your cleaning is done at night. Sure. Right. So it's probably, you know, between 5 and 10 p.m. Exactly. And, and that's the good side of that from an operator's point of view, especially when you're first starting out, is it does leave you all day to be able to try to grow your business. Right. The downside of that, of course, is it's hard to work all night and then, you know, be productive every right. day. Yeah. Yeah. It, it turns into a longest, long 12, 16 hour days, right? Yeah. But as that $6,000 ran out that my brother gave me, I had enough business to sustain my wife and I. And let's see, Stephen was born in 1982. So I had a year or two of no children to really get the business underway and kick it off and get it going. And and I had a job at the time, and I wasn't real happy in that job. It had pretty good benefits and a decent salary, but you know, it was a perfect time to start a business. If it failed, I was out nothing, but a job that I didn't really care for. And so, yeah, no time flat. It seems like money went a lot further back then than it does today. Well, but, it uh, doesn't yeah, seem yeah. like it, it did, actually. It, it, <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely well, right. Yeah. It, so it didn't take a lot to live on back then, but yeah, it yeah, was all good. I, it was all good. I'd love to. I'd love to know what was the business that you, what was the job that you had that you didn't like? What was it? What were you doing? I was a parts coordinator for a coal mining supply company, National Mine mm. Service. And so it was a fairly stressful job when a coal mine uh, machine broke down. They wanted a replacement part pronto because every minute, yeah. every hour it was down, they were losing money. I remember shipping a part to uh, from Morgantown to Princeton, West Virginia in a taxi cab once. It was oh. the quickest way to get it there. It was expensive, but they wanted it right now. And uh, so, yeah, no FedEx or uh, UPS back in the day. Popped it, called a taxi company, uh, and they delivered the part for us. Got the monitor running again, and they were back in business. You know, I don't know if it's interesting or telling, but 
today that one of the number one recruiting challenges is in transportation. Everybody in transportation is hiring. Everybody needs people to drive something from here to over there. And they right. need it there yesterday. So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It, yeah. It, so, it, you know, yeah, we thought about a courier service at one time as well. We had an operation Morgantown in Charleston and we figured there were a lot of uh, businesses, law offices and so forth that were probably had, you know, offices in those locations. And uh, we were making the trip back and forth all the time anyway. It's like, uh, we should probably call around and see if they, yeah, as we're making that trip, if they needed us to take anything. It was an idea. I'm an idea guy. I'm a visionary. I'm not really a nuts and bolts operation guy. So I come up with the ideas and then uh, count on other people to make them work. Yeah, I like it. I like that. I think that it's kind of part and parcel to how successful you are is that you're constantly looking at everything in a lens of how can we do this a little better? How can we do a little different? Is sure. there more opportunity here? Right. Clearly. Right. Yeah. Right, 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 right. And yeah, we're, we're, we're currently working through uh, the traction book, if you're familiar with that. Of course, Gino, yeah. Gino uh, Wickham, I think, is the author of that book. And we uh, just hired an implementer from Pittsburgh. Michael Halpern's coming down and uh, we're going we're gonna, to, you know, he's an EOS implementer. And so anyway, we're trying to make our business and our systems look like one company. Even after 20 years, our Southern division looks a little different from our Northern division and our Pennsylvania division. And uh, uh, so, yeah, I'm not a systems guy. And so my brother-in-law is, he's going to be our integrator, uh, Steve, and uh, Michael is going to help us uh, implement the EOS system, the 90-minute uh, meetings and uh, or level 10 meetings, I believe that they're called. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's all good stuff. Yeah. So you're talking really more back end, kind of back office, kind of the way your policies and procedures is kind of operating. That's what you mean? You want to get that all more in line? Uh, just a lot of operating systems. Uh, for an example, you know, uh, we just split our Northern Division into two divisions. So now we have the Northern Division and the Pennsylvania Division. We hired a regional or a branch manager to run our Pennsylvania Division. We call it that, but it also includes Boardman, Youngstown, Ohio as well. We have a large regional bank that we service about 120 branches, and a big chunk of those are in that Pennsylvania division in Ohio, from Warren, Ohio, all the way down to uh, East Palestine, Ohio, um, Steubenville, Ohio, and, and that area, area along the river. It is a big, and that's our challenge. We, uh, we're not operating in one large city uh, like a lot of our competitors. We've got a huge geographic area. And that's just how the business developed because we're in a rural state. There's only 2 million people in the whole state of West Virginia, not a lot of buildings and um, uh, not a lot of big buildings, at least not a lot of skyscrapers, but a lot of, uh, you know, so our business is really built on branch banking and medical facilities, some government facilities, uh, we do some utilities as well. So that's our niche market. That's who we serve. So. We, uh, yeah, but we're spread out geographically. And you get into southern West Virginia, it's a, a transportation down there is a nightmare. You're going through the coal fields of West Virginia, no interstates, a lot of mountainous terrain. And uh, Steve can spend all day visiting six branch banks in that part of the state. Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, in, in, you know, th that geography challenge, I remember I worked for a company, a commercial cleaning company, and they paid their operators based on the number of homes, I work in healthcare. So the number sure. of homes or hospitals that you could 
handle on a weekly basis because we're basically right. trying to get in there every week. And if you were in a city, you could potentially make a lot more money because you could easily see 10, 12, 15 right. hospitals in a week because they're not far apart. If you go in the rural area at all, you get into Vermont, Maine, Massachusetts, right. New Hampshire, you could be three hours on the road before you see another nursing home. You know Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And a similar geography here. Yeah, it's more of a rural ur- versus the urban area. Yeah, we're in a peer group uh, that we uh, joined. Uh, I think we've been in it about two years now. And I just love the whole idea of the peer group. And these, all these business owners that are in with us, the five guys, they're, they're all in more uh, larger metropolitan area. Andrew's in Philadelphia. Uh, Corey and uh, Blake are in Virginia Beach. Daryl is in Orlando, Florida. And Daniel's in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So they're they're in bigger areas than we service. So a little di- different operations, but uh, yeah. But we get together on a monthly basis uh, via you know Google Media or Zoom, and then once or twice a year we get together and audit one another's business. Uh, just uh, it's like free consulting, and oh, uh, all these guys are younger. They're all my son's age. They're thirty five to forty age range, and. Uh, they're go-getters. They're sharp guys. And uh, so it's just uh, we support each other. We build each other. We help each other. We share ideas with each other. And uh, yeah, so they were at our place at the 1st of August and audited our business over three days. And uh, yeah, the information that we got from them was just invaluable. It was it was super good. Of course, a lot of the stuff you know, but it's just good to hear it from somebody else. And it gives you a little kick in the seat of the pants and, and motivates you to, to yeah. Uh, do what you need to do. Yeah, know what you need to do. Yeah. I don't think there's anything better than like mastermind groups. It's the same kind of thing, you know, yeah. like a peer group, mastermind right. group where where everybody's really dedicated to the growth of everybody. So yeah. there's nice, healthy competition, but there's no secrecy, right? There's yeah. Everybody's very generous with their information and their time. and Absolutely. And we're not competitors. We're so far distanced uh, geographically that we're not competitors. And, and we, we've, got an agreement that we're not going to step on each other's toes. But you mentioned the mastermind group too. We also are members of uh, Jordan Tong uh, has a mastermind group of about 150 companies. And uh, he's also owns a cleaning business as well in Owensboro, Kentucky. Jordan's a a good, young, sharp guy, does a great job. And we've been to several seminars that Jordan has conducted as well, a couple in sales and a couple in operations. So Mm -hmm. uh, we're constantly sending people down there for uh, training. So uh, it's a great, yeah. If anybody's interested in a mastermind group, he's for sure uh, adding uh, people to his group daily. Yeah, that's really good information. It's good to know. So, where are you? So, you your niche is really in banking and some government. Do you? You? I think you mentioned you also do have some healthcare, but it's like clinical. Uh, yeah, uh, it's, uh, probably from a dollar revenue standpoint, probably that's at the top of the leaderboard. The medical facilities, uh, one of our biggest, best customers is uh, the local hospital here in Morgantown. And uh, they're growing and acquiring. And as they grow, we get a lot of uh, stuff. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. So, it, yeah, it trickles down and it, it's been good. So we have a great partnership there. We've worked for them for a number of years. And uh, so, yeah, healthcare has been really good for us. Yeah, uh, that's good. And, the, and then the branch banking, we probably work for a dozen small to mid-sized banks. I don't think we do any national banks, but we do either directly or indirectly through some national 
like KBS and the ABMs of the world, we do a little work for them for some banks as well as kind of a second tier as a subcontractor. Yep. You know, Massachusetts, I don't know if this is any bearing in your area, but you just kind of mentioned it. But in Massachusetts, that's a big part of business where the government has a program. I don't work in Massachusetts, but I kind of wish I did because I like this program. Yeah, nice. But they, but they are committed to having smaller businesses be involved in government contracts. And, but as you can imagine, some smaller businesses simply don't have the ability or the financial wherewithal to be able to bid on such a big contract. And so they just made it mandatory that large contracts that go to large businesses, they have to subcontract pieces of that business to other companies. Right, that's a, right. That's a really nice way for a smaller cleaning company to be able to get their foot into the door of these larger, more lucrative contracts, especially federal contracts. Sure. Yeah. We don't do a lot of federal work. And I think probably, Ralph, the reason for that is because a lot of that is set aside for minority-owned, women-owned businesses, small 8A uh, enterprises. And uh, what we have done uh, recently, we picked up a city contract just outside of Pittsburgh in one of the uh, suburbs of uh, Pittsburgh. And we're doing their municipal building, their uh, uh, activity center, and uh, they've got about a dozen businesses, the buildings that we're now cleaning. And uh, that was uh, just a sales lead we got from uh, the Blue Book, if you're familiar with that at all, uh, mm-hmm. where they do put a lot of most of it's local government stuff on the blue book and you know small municipalities uh, this is a fairly large municipality there in upper st Clair. but uh yeah so it's a great job for us in western pennsylvania it's about thirty thousand dollars a month of revenue that we pick up and uh so yeah it's a really good account yeah that's i i should have said i didn't mean federal contracts i meant state contracts because it's state yeah. of massachusetts so it's yeah and west virginia does a lot too but again a lot of that set aside and the other groups that seem to pick up a lot of that set aside stuff are handicap agencies got a couple of workshops here in our local area i won't name them but they're geared to getting people that have some disability to work so a lot of that set aside for them as well I know the uh, FBI uh, plant, which is about 45 minutes from here in Bridgeport, West Virginia, is a, it's a 700, 800,000 square foot facility that the FBI built here in West Virginia, thanks to Robert Byrd, our uh, former uh, <laughs> uh, senator, who was good. Yeah, who was really good. At, yeah, who was getting really, uh, who was really good at getting us a lot of the uh, pork barrel kinds of stuff. <laughs> Added to his bills. So, yeah. So, we're the beneficiaries, a lot of that stuff. But at any rate, that's a set-aside contract. But it's a federal contract. And, uh, yeah, I can look out my window and look at the uh, NIOSH building that's uh, probably a $2 million janitorial contract that uh, I've got no shot at. So, it's uh, a set-aside type of contract. So, yep, yep, yep. So, yeah, a lot of that's not available. But, uh, yeah, Mm -hmm. we do some stuff for uh, local FFA uh, airports and some of that uh, would be federal. So, we do – don't do a lot of government work uh, it's just not our niche but we do a little in, what's your in, what's your favorite what's your favorite piece of business do you I have believe, a favorite? Do you have a uh, personally my favorite i like the branch banking because it's our niche we're good at it most people hate it because staffing is an issue so the western pennsylvania if you would look at a map of we're all over western pennsylvania with this bank 
And it might only take a cleaner an hour, an hour and a half, two hours to clean a branch. So it's a difficult job to recruit for. I used to kid people. I would tell them, yeah, my job is to recruit people to come and work in an industry that has low self-esteem attached to it, hard work, <laughs> low pay, bad hours. Hey, come work for me. Yeah. So those are some of the challenges built into our, uh, into our industry. It's, it can be tough. But it's, it's a great, it's a great, it is a great part-time job though. And so yeah, we, would, we, would, we would look for, you know, maybe the wife wants to get out of the house at night while the husband watches the kids. He's worked at Asia. So she could go out for an hour or two at night, make a little family income, get out of the house. Or husband and wife could go in and do it together. So you could, you know, he could do his thing. She could do her thing and they, they could be in and out pretty quickly, do a good job, make a little extra family income. So it's a great moonlighting job. And that's who we target. That's who we try to pick up. And for those branch banks. And so, and if I can get three or four different banks in the same town or well, like size business, then I can group those together and make a nice job for somebody. And then they yeah, can get their, their six, seven, eight hours in. Yeah. So that's have, our target. Have you had any, and I know that it's happened. I was just on with a, a woman who has a cleaning company in Australia and oh, wow. coronavirus and the pandemic and, and everything. One of the things, that her customers requested was if that because we normally commercial cleaning we normally clean after you're gone so we're normally right. bank is closed we go in right. and clean that's the time of us for cleaning but they asked her if they could if she would start sending people before they closed so that an hour before they closed so instead of starting at 5 5 30 they were starting at 4 4 30 because they wanted their customers and their employees to get the assurance that they were seeing the cleaner. Yeah. Nice. Have you heard that at all? Have you been experiencing well, we, that at all? We do a little bit of that. <laughs> Actually, occasionally a customer, uh, particularly banks, they don't want you in there early because they're closing up, counting, reconciling, finishing sure. up at the end of the day. So they really don't want us in there until they're out of there. But there are other businesses where, yeah. And it's great because you forge a relationship. They see the cleaner, and then we have a lot of what we call day matrons or day porters that uh, work a day shift in large uh, facilities where yeah. they can clean the restrooms multiple times a day. They can clean the lunchroom after lunch, after breakfast, all the, uh, common, space. All the common areas. Exactly. So they can do a lot. And, uh, and historically, our experience has been that the customers love the day porters and don't think the evening crews do anything. <laughs> Very unfair to the evening crew. But they develop relationships with the day porters. They see them working. They see them cleaning. And they like them. So, you know, the, the you're always looking for somebody on that day shift that is a little outgoing. It's not such an introvert that they're nervous around people or don't like to be around mm -hmm. people. But we've also had a few day porters that were so outgoing that they spent all their time Talking, chatting, right? visiting, and chatting, <laughs> keeping the customers' employees from working and not working themselves. So, yeah, yeah. One of the things you had to guard against. You know, what's interesting about that is, so I was in commercial cleaning for a long time before I got into healthcare. Gotcha. And the big transition for me was managing remotely night staff, cleaning, you know, commercial cleaning, class A office buildings and all that. Right. And then to having full-time cleaners seven days a week, eight hours a day. It's a whole new thing because in nursing homes, hospitals, senior care, 
it never ends. It's full-time positions. You're working alongside nursing and activities and social services and maintenance and everybody's working together. It's a whole right. new dynamic. It was a gotcha. real, it was a big challenge right. at first. It really yeah. was, it would be so much easier if we could do this when nobody's here, right? But yeah, right, right, in, right. in hospitals and nursing homes, there isn't a time when nobody's there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You're right. constantly people working around there. people. They live there. <laughs> yeah. We do a few facilities like that. We do a Hope and Healing is a, a drug and alcohol rehab facility where people are living. So it would be similar to that in that uh, you're working around people. We're typically not doing a lot of cleaning in their living quarters unless they're in meetings during the day. It gives us an opportunity to go in and do some things. But yeah, so it takes a unique individual to do that. It's nuanced. It has different challenges and yeah, obviously, you can be more productive in the evening when the building is empty. You can clean a lot faster. You're, you workload that differently than you would uh, a person in the building that's occupied. Yep. Agreed. It's yep. interesting that you currently clean a, um, a drug and alcohol kind of facility because there's a few around where I'm at, mm-hmm. and I've tried bidding on them or you know tried to go in and see if they were in, and they were they used the cleaning as part of the therapy so, you know, oh, the, the people who are in counseling are doing it all. Not uh, a good job. You yeah, for sure. You can tell they're not doing a good job at it, but they weren't interested in talking to me about commercial cleaning because they were yeah, maybe they, Yeah, therapy. yeah. Well, that's free labor. So maybe that's how they yeah. were uh, is saving, saving a big bill. Yeah, because I'm often told by a lot of our customers, you, you are our biggest budget line item because they're buying labor. And, you know, you have seven, eight, nine full-time people in a clinic cleaning at night. You're looking at a big monthly bill. Because you're paying yeah, not only that labor, but uh, all the management and associated costs with it as well. So, yeah. 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 But speaking, yeah. speaking of that, if we can go back just a little bit. When, so, you said your first year of business, you really didn't clear much more than maybe six, eight, ten thousand dollars $10,000. And you were doing all the cleaning yourself. Right. What was it like to, when were you able to hire a staff member? And what was that like? Like, did you get another big contract in it? okay, finally, I can get somebody on the books now or right? how was that for you? Well, so yeah, so there's this uh, transition. You start out as the janitor and then you pick up another a customer or two. And most of ours were small customers. And frankly, I started out hiring friends. And then eventually I ran out of friends. And <laughs> the friends did a pretty good job, were pretty reliable and pretty trustworthy guys. But when I ran out of friends and had to actually start hiring people, interviewing people. So now you're kind of like the HR person, the supervisor, the interviewer. And so there's these uh, learning uh, things that curves. you go through. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> learning learning curves. curves, right. Yeah. You make yeah. some bad hires. You, yeah. So it's this school of hard knocks. And uh, yeah. So once I, yeah, I ran out of friends and started hiring other people, uh, got some good ones, got some bad ones and uh, learned and uh, grew and became better at it. And uh, yeah, and then, and then eventually you become the supervisor, then you become the manager, then you become the CEO, the president of the company. And uh, yeah, just a little bit every year we grew. I don't think there was a year we didn't grow and increase revenue probably in the 40 years we've been in business now. So, so today we're, we're doing about $8 million of business and we have three divisions in our company and about 350, 340 to 350 staff Employees, members. Yeah, yep, that's yep, pretty yep. awesome. Yep. How long How long was it you started your business until you became completely separated from actually running the business, you know, doing the cleaning, doing the cleaning, and you are fully able to hire that out? Was it less than two years? Was it more than two years? <laughs> no, it was, it was, I was way into it when I was still cleaning. Probably the, the coup de grace for me, the biggest 
change for me was probably 1989, 1990, going to my first Building Service Contractors Association International Convention. And I believe that was in Dallas, Texas. And at the time, I was like, oh, that's for the big guys. I'm just a little guy. What am I doing? But I drove up to Pittsburgh, hopped on a plane. That's when the U.S. Air was headquartered in Pittsburgh. So you could get direct flights anywhere in the country. Flew to Dallas, spent a week in Dallas, and it was the biggest eye-opener of my life. It's like, for the first time, I saw the potential of the business, and I saw what other guys were doing, and there were phenomenal businesses represented there. And I'm like, this is an awesome business. There's so much potential in it. So it was an eye-opener, and that was probably 1989, 1990, when I went to Dallas for the first time. Saw the potential of the industry, and it took off from there. Yeah. Got lots of ideas. In fact, I would come back from those conventions overwhelmed, like I'm not doing anything right. And but I finally learned every convention I would come back from, I would implement one or two or three ideas that I learned. You know, we got our, our timekeeping system, team uh, telephone timekeeping system, where people were clocking in and clocking out via the telephone. My wife flew out to Omaha, Nebraska, where their quarter became our telephone timekeeping coordinator and and payroll person. And so, yeah, so it was computerized, and that was just life changing. It saved us a lot of money, made us more professional, assured us that this person is in this building from this time to this time. Yeah, so it was it was pretty revolutionary for us. But we got all these good ideas at the BSCAI conventions. So it ended up becoming a family vacation as much as it was. Yeah, I remember the first time we went to Nashville and stayed in the Opryland Hotel. My kids were Very little nice. at the time. It was like we died and gone to heaven. That place was amazing. Loved the <laughs> Opryland Hotel. <laughs> they loved it. Flew out a few years later to Anaheim, California, and got tickets to the Jay Leno show. And we snuck our wow. uh, son, son in to see that show because he wasn't old enough. I forget oh, what no. the age was. He had to be. We I mean, had to be 16 or 18, whatever it was. Mm. Stephen was a year or two younger than the, uh, we snuck him in and, uh, and he <laughs> loved it. So yeah, we got to say Jay Leno off, but yeah, so it was just, uh, yeah, it was transformational for us. It, it just, uh, it's great family time and great business time. Got lots of good friends, lots of good acquaintances and, and learn tons. I mean, now that BSCAI and the ISSA do a combined convention every year. And this year it's in Las Vegas and we're sending two or three people out to it. And my son's I going. am, uh, I am one of the speakers. I'm speaking, oh, uh, nice, 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 year. nice. Yeah. I'm not going this year, but Steven is going and, uh, I'll, well, I'll have him to, stop. to make sure he says hello. <laughs> I will. I have him stop by and say hello. My son is, uh, he looks like the mountaineer. He's got a long red beard. He looks like he <laughs> should be on the duck dynasty show, but Steven, Steven lived several years out in California when he was just out of college. And, so his Stephen's claim to fame is he has climbed uh, El Cap and Half Dome at Yosemite. Took him about five days to do it. Lived on the ledge. Lived on the, wow. in the tent. Yeah. So five days to climb Half Dome. And uh, Stephen, wow. uh, yeah, when Stephen was little, we would have him at uh, Cooper's Rock State Forest here, which uh, has a lot of bouldering. And uh, so when he was three and four years old, he was up there with, uh, with dad bouldering. And uh, in hindsight, I'm like, oh, I'm not sure that was such a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> we visited him in uh, Yosemite. Well, this has been many years ago. And 
we were looking at people climbing the face of Half Dome, and they just look like a pencil speck. You can't even tell it's a person. It's just a massive granite wall, half mile high from top to bottom. Stevens right. climbed it. Yeah. So he's a scary dude. <laughs> yeah. No, no question. I yeah. am, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking, I'm on, proud CDC, of him. Yeah, yeah, I'm speaking yeah. on CDC guidelines. Okay. So CDC guidelines, how it pertains to the interpretation. I'm going to tell you what it means. Nice. What nice trying nice, to nice. say gotcha. when it comes to cleaning and COVID and all that. So, okay. Yeah. yeah so that's very fun. good. I might, I'm, I'll have I'm look you up. I have a, please do. I'm going to have a booth there as well for the house. podcast. So, Oh, okay. Please very good. Very good. You're, well, you're, you're not going to be there, but uh, um, uh, yeah, I decided to bail out this year. We just did our audit. Uh, we went down mm-hmm. and did one of the other cleaning companies audit in Orlando, Florida in uh, the winter. And uh, yeah, so I've done a good bit of traveling this year. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to sit this one out and let, uh, let uh, send, send some of our team members. So Stephen's going along with a couple of others from our uh, company. Well, sure. Make sure he stops by and says hello. I'll do, I'll do that. Absolutely. That'd Absolutely. Well, you'll make some good connections there too and get some uh, good folks lined up. There are yeah, a lot of good, lot of um, good companies in this industry. It's the seventh largest industry in the world. I've been doing this my whole life. I know. I'm super excited to go. And I, I've spoken a bunch at uh, ISSA so over the years. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm just shocked at some of the people. I remember a guy years ago, I think Varsity Contractor is a huge national company. And I think the one of the original owners in that had a pharmacy degree, if I recall correctly. Don't quote me on that. But, you know, Jordan Tong that runs our mastermind group, it has an engineering degree. So there's, so there's a lot of great, right? yeah, it's super random <laughs> stuff. Random. Yeah. yeah, but uh, there, there are a ton of, uh, yeah, educated people in our industry that uh, are really good at what they do. No question. No question. So what's next for you guys? What's the, are you guys sticking where you are now? Are you guys pretty comfortable and set? Are you looking to go in to expand at all into a different yeah. area? We over the past three or four years, we've been building the internal infrastructure to facilitate our growth strategy plan. We're wanting to add about a million dollars of business a year. We think that's uh, doable. So we've got three divisions within our company. We have uh, currently six offices: uh, Boardman, Ohio; Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania; Wheeling, West Virginia. Our headquarters here in Morgantown. And then we have uh, an office in Charleston, West Virginia, Beckley, West Virginia, and Parkersburg, West Virginia. So I guess that's seven. And um, yeah, so we've got the infrastructure, the offices in place, the branch managers in place. And now we're promoting uh, from supervisor to like uh, a branch manager of those office facilities. So we've got the people in place. We've got the infrastructure in place. And so we've been spending money to build that infrastructure now the sales team, uh, Stephen and Mary, are, are hitting the ground hard here and getting us lots of, uh, we've got about $195,000 of bids out right now, monthly bids. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So, uh, historically, we've been able to, to bring in about half, 40 to 50% of uh, our bids are usually converted into, so that would hit our million dollars nice, right there. If, yeah, right. Yeah, if we can, nice if we can some of that in. Holy. Exactly. Yeah. So the infrastructure's in place. We just, we've got to reel the business into some of those areas now. And uh, yeah, so we're doing good. We recently hired uh, Jeff Kiefer, who's uh, been involved in this industry for many years to to run our Pittsburgh and Boardman, Ohio offices. And uh, it's our Pennsylvania division and uh, Jeff's doing a fantastic job as well. So Man, I, I'm just blessed. I've often said we should, I want to start, and I've talked with Kimberly a little bit about this, of having 
a Patton Hall of Fame of former nice. employees and just put their picture up. And yeah. I love um, everything about this. Yeah. I, I love the whole idea too, because I mean, when I was young, a couple of my managers were much older than me and they, they were more like mom and dad and mentors to me. I was the owner, but I was like a sponge learning from them. Bob Cunningham was one of those guys and he was a, he had retired from the mining uh, industry. His company put in mining shafts. They would dig and put in shafts down to the mine. And so Bob was a man's man. He was like, uh, but he was a big, lovable teddy bear. Good Christian man, loved the guy to death. He just was good as gold, loved him. And uh, Bob would be the first guy in my Hall of Fame. Uh, <laughs> even though he retired, he worked for me probably 10, 15 years in, into retirement. And uh, like I said, he was like a dad or a granddad to me. Uh, lo- loved yeah, the guy. Loved yeah, the guy. I, I'm on board. I think this is a great idea. You know, a lot of times we create something like this. We're always trying to do like, um, what are you going to name the award after? Right. So right. you have the patent hall sure. of fame, but then there's also that award ceremony, that thing that could be in his name, in his right. honor. So imagine going forward, you know, the first one's in and then going forward, this is the criteria to earn the Bob award, right? Well, exactly. Because yeah, otherwise it just is very subjective. And uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, if there's some criteria to achieve it and, uh, and, yeah. and uh, you know, you, you've worked here so long, exemplary. Uh, yeah. Kind of guy, but, in this way. Yeah, exactly. Way. Exactly. Probably yeah, now because Bob, Bob has come and gone and I'm not even sure I could get a picture of him to, to hang on the wall. <laughs> Probably a son or a grandson is still out there that I could find, but sure. uh, yeah, it would take a little leg work, but uh, yeah, uh, but we got a bunch of people like that and we got a bunch of all-stars working for us now. It's This is not a one-man uh, team. Of course not. I love how genuine you are about it. I love how you're thinking about it and, how you're, and, and the reason why you want to do it. And nice, I thanks. also love that it's such a great PR move. And I know you weren't thinking about it like that. Oh, no, not at all. Right. Yeah. But it is a, it's important. You know, what's, what's challenging is, you know, what you go to a cash register nowadays and they're like, Hey, do you want to round up for St. Jude's? And here's the thing. I I would love to round up for St. Jude's, but nobody knows I'm doing it. And if I'm giving money, I want credit. Right. Right. I don't want to give well, anything away for free. If I give a reduction sure. in a price of a bid, I want them to know I'm giving them a reduction. I feel like I need to, I got to earn my give or I need oh, to get absolutely. credit for the give. Sure. And this is just one of the, you're such a great hearted man. You got a great hearted company and you're thinking about doing something for the right reasons. Right. I say we also get credit. I say yeah. everybody also knows about it because people want to do business with people that they like and that they trust. Absolutely. And they're good hearted. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. Well, anytime you can promote that. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, everything I do is not self-serving, but you do need to pat yourself on the back occasionally. And my son was telling me about our, our manager, Jason, that I was telling you about the other day, a customer called and said, the doctor thinks they they knocked their cell phone into the trash can. So Jason drives out that night gets into the dumpster and is going through every bag of garbage in that uh, trash can. I told Stephen, I'm like, you've got to tell the customer. You can't let that go unmentioned. Uh, That's That's one of those, you know, that's uh, one of our core values is going the extra mile. And I'm like, Jason gets the going the extra mile award for this month. It was uh, above and beyond the call of duty Nobody wants to get into a dumpster and, and dig through trash. But Jason, did, did he the manager, 
He did not find the phone. I'm like, maybe we should have just called the phone and stood by there and listened. (laughs) They probably thought of that, but, uh, you know, it could have been on vibrate or whatever. No, we did not find the phone. So no pot of uh, gold at the end of the rainbow, but it was the effort that should be affirmed and appreciated. Yeah, a million percent. And that's what I'm talking about, right? Like, it's so much more satisfying when people see you doing the right thing and recognize you. You should always do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Right, right, right. Whether people are looking or not, but it just makes it sweeter when people are people are like, you know what? I noticed you did that. That's pretty fantastic. And that's all I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise nobody knows and can't appreciate it. So yeah. Yep. And nowadays with the staffing shortages that we're having on our end, I imagine you're feeling a little bit of the same burn as we are. Oh, oh, absolutely. It's a, it's a nightmare. Anything it's gotten better. It's do. gotten a little better here, but it's still a challenge. Yeah. yeah. Anything that we can do to recognize our employees, anything we can do to highlight all the great work they're doing, anything we can do is worth it. Absolutely. Right. Well, it's a thankless business. And that's what I tell our managers, supervisors. If you don't affirm our employees, our rank and file, the, the people out there doing it every night that, that really make your paycheck, nobody hardly ever calls in and says, great job. Uh, they call in when you miss the trash can. So yeah. you got to catch them doing something good. You got, you know, for every criticism, they need three or four attaboys and good job. And people just want to be recognized for doing their job. And um, so, I don't get out at night too often anymore, but when I do, I'm always like, I need to do this more. It always feels good. <laughs> it's always appreciated. And uh, yeah, people agreed. like to see the boss. Yep. Agreed. I agree. Thank you so much for coming on and spending some time with yep. me today. I really appreciate it. And I was I was very excited just to hear their story and to hear where you came from. And it's, you got a great story. And, and I love the story of your dad and going to college while working full time in the 1950s. You just don't hear those kinds of stories enough. It really shows the type of man he was and clearly the type of family man he was and the family he raised. And it's just all great. It's just all great. I'm so impressed. How do people people find you? If somebody's looking for work and they're in the West Virginia area or Pennsylvania or Ohio, I mean, you're all over the place. Uh, We are. How do they get a hold of you? Yeah, well, uh, patentbuildingservices.com. We have the online application there. We have a pretty good presence on LinkedIn. Our HR manager runs lots of uh, recruiting ads on Indeed. Occasionally, will you, I'm still old school, and every once in a while when they're struggling, I'm like, you know, if you want to get Mary or Wanda, you got to run an ad in the newspaper because they're not going online to look for a job. They're still looking in the help wanted ads in the newspaper. So occasionally, we'll do that. My best help wanted ad ever was uh, Mary retired. Do you want Mary's job? If you would like to have Mary's job. And we got uh, like 20, uh, 60 year old women applying for, uh, for the position. <laughs> so we did an in run. We didn't want to say we wanted a, a mature woman. Uh, we just used a name of uh, uh, traditionally was an older woman. And uh, so that was always my little uh, told her HR, I know we can't ask for a man. We can't ask for a woman, <laughs> but uh, we can say, do you want her to take Mary's job? And uh, that one worked for, pretty well for us. So but, I, I yeah. like anything to stand out, right? Anything, anything to stand out. Yeah, anything exactly. Anything to stand yeah. out is the best way to go about it. So you said bat, uh, patentbuildingservices.com. Is that right? 
That's correct. Yep. Patent yep. building. I'll put the, I'll, I'll tag, I'll put the website in the show notes as well. And, uh, okay, good and, deal. and as well as the LinkedIn profile to patent building services too, because you guys are pretty active on LinkedIn, which is a lot of fun. And yeah, it's how it we is. connected. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah. Uh, Evelyn, uh, I can't remember Evelyn's as a trainer. Maybe she's in uh, Texas and, uh, I was watching her, uh, video, her interview mm-hmm. with you. She's in the mastermind group and I've met Evelyn in uh, Owensboro, Kentucky a time or two. And, uh, so anyway, really I saw great. her and I think I made a comment on her uh, podcast. Yeah. It, was, uh, it was good. It was good to hear her story. And, uh, and then you reached out to me as a result. Yeah. That. She has yep. a great story too. She's from Guatemala. And, uh, so it, Again, it's so diverse. This industry, it's so diverse, and oh, absolutely, and it's so, yep, it's so big, and there's so much opportunity. If you're interested in owning your own business and running your own operation and earning a lot of money and and doing really great things for great people, consider the cleaning business. Absolutely, yep, 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 business, yep, because it's not easy. But it no. is a great industry. Yeah, really because you're great. managing, you're you're trying to get a job done through other people. Yep. So, mm-hmm. yep, yep. It's yeah, a challenge, but it's good. Is it? But it's also what makes it rewarding. Uh, agreed. Agreed. Well, thank you so much for being on. Really appreciate all your time. Thank you. That's it for us here at Thousand Years Podcast. If you like today's show, please make sure that you're sharing it and subscribe and writing a review and telling everybody, hey, you got to listen to the House Years Podcast. We really appreciate all of your help. That's it. For Mark Patton and myself, Ralph Peterson, we will see you guys. That's it. The Housekeepers Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into today's show. Keep in mind, the best way to ensure that you never miss an episode of the Housekeepers Podcast is by subscribing to the show and following us on social media. For those of you who are more visually stimulated, you can always watch us record the show live each week on LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube. In fact, we post all of our videos on YouTube, so make sure you are subscribing to our YouTube channel. If you love the show and you want to help us out, please consider writing a review and sharing the show with all your friends and families and colleagues. And if you are looking for more information about today's guest, all of their contact information and the links to their websites are in the show's notes. That's it. Until next time, this has been the cleanest hour in podcasting. I am Ralph Peterson, and I'll see you later.